dear Heavenly Father. We can only imagine what it was to be at this meal with Lazarus raised from the dead. The conversations that may have gone on between Martha and Mary and him. But Father, what an astonishing thing that Mary had such an insight into the meaning and person of Christ that she prepared him for death but saw in him what it was for her sins to be laid up upon her Messiah. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, the affections of our heart and that we would treasure Christ. Please have mercy on us now, Father, and bless your word to your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the account we have of Mary in preparing Jesus for burial is one of the most personal and deepest responses to Jesus recorded in the Gospels. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, the promise that Jesus gives is that wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what Mary did would be proclaimed. Is it possible to have an an impersonal Jesus? Can you have an impersonal Jesus? You can't, can you? The only Jesus you can have is a personal Jesus. And either Jesus' death is personal to you and his resurrection is personal to you or it isn't. You can't have a concept of Jesus. Although many do. Many have an idea or a theory or a concept of Jesus. But in this story we see that Mary has a personal Messiah. One sitting in her lounge room. One having a meal. One in whom she sees into and sees the meaning of the person of Christ, His being and His humanity. Now over the last couple of weeks we've seen that wherever Christ is, wherever the Gospel is preached, for example in the prodigal son story, when the younger son comes home, and the Father lavishes him with grace, there is the evoking of two responses. There's the evoking of those who receive God's grace and then there's the uncovering of those whose motives are dark. The elder brother is only exposed at the point of the Gospel. And so it's no different this week that we have a twin action that as Jesus is in this room, He's being worshipped. There's gospel praise happening, but side by side where Jesus is, there is darkness in the heart of a man called Judas. I wonder when the Christian church is going to realise that side by side with the church is the devil. At every point that Christ is at work, side by side where Christ is, Satan is working through his people. The early church just knew it, didn't they? They didn't have a choice. They knew the persecution. And you go through the stories of Jesus and he's evoking responses all the time and it's no different in our day. There's the evoking, there's the uncovering. And how many of you as Christians, like myself, have found over the years the Spirit to uncover things in you and as he's uncovered them in you, you're shocked to see what's there in your heart even with a cross, 
even with a cleansing, it's not easy, is it, to face what's there in our heart. Jesus unearths things. And then there are those who are just indifferent. They're asleep, anaesthetised by entertainment. As a friend of mine said, who's an African, in, in a, a missionary in Africa, he said, I come back to Australia and Australia is an anaesthetised nation. Take away the entertainment, take away the petrol, take away the barbecues, take away the beer, take away the alcohol and let's see what's there in the heart of an Australian. Anaesthetised, which means the affections in the heart of man are deeply suppressed. So what happened to Mary? What happened to this woman who publicly did something that maybe a woman would never do to another man? let alone to her Lord, that she would publicly display such affection. And what does it mean for women that Jesus places them in such honour? You don't need women's rights when Jesus is around, do you? Because he just puts them where they need to be in the right place. All this has happened to a woman called Mary. But hidden within that room, is a churchman. Hidden within that room is the first secretary, or should I say, the first treasurer of the church, a man called Judas. Judas has nothing more than an idea or a concept of Jesus. There's no personal relationship there with him. And what does it mean to have a concept of Jesus? It means that you can't actually look to him and you can't actually trust him personally as your saviour. Judas was a part of the twelve disciples. Let's call them the early church. He was involved both in outward ministry with all the other disciples. He was heavily involved with the ministry of Jesus. He even participated in miracles. He held the office of treasurer and I have no doubt that outsiders would have seen Jesus, seen Jesus and Judas and what do you reckon outsiders thought of Judas? He's a part of the church. He's a part of the twelve. So when Mary lavishly opens up this very expensive perfume called pure nard, which was about a year's wages for a labourer in Israel, can you imagine 25 or 30 grand? opens it up. He says this should have been sold and given to the poor. Now if you're in that room and he said those words to you, who would have agreed with him? I probably would have thought, what a good idea. 300 denaria was a lot of money and although his words at first seemed to be genuine, He's actually, it says that he did not care about the poor because he was a thief. He said those words because he was a thief and he used to be in charge of the money and as he was in charge of the money, guess what he did? He helped himself to the money. But why is Judas saying what he's saying? Why has this response come out of his heart? Because Jesus is in the room. Because the Gospel is there. And people are responding to grace. And as Jesus is in this room, 
And as Jesus is at Peace College and as Jesus moves through his people, there is the evoking of the Judases. Christ himself is the one who is uncovering Judas, but it's happening through the devotion of a woman who is in deep worship and response to Jesus. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. What do you treasure? What do you treasure that's above Jesus? Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, for he will either be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You might think I'm being a bit harsh on Judas, but do you know the disciples at this point couldn't actually discern him? They could not discern what kind of man he was because the disciples themselves were actually nowhere near as enlightened as Mary. The disciples actually didn't really understand Jesus' person. They didn't understand him moving to the cross and what it all meant. But there was a woman called Mary. She knew more than all of them. Her treasure was in Christ. But not just in Christ. Her treasure was in Christ and Him crucified for her sins. Why did she anoint Him? Because she could see into His death in a way that no one else could see. While all the others are enjoying a meal and there's no indication that Lazarus having a meal with Jesus is wrong, there's no indication that Martha's serving is wrong. You couldn't expect Martha to do anything else. But Mary always seemed to be the one at Jesus' feet. Where is she in this room? And they're having a meal. Where is Mary? She's at the feet of Jesus again. It seems that above all the disciples and all the followers, she had an unusual insight into her beloved Saviour Jesus Christ and His death. She's linked the Old Testament Passover in a few days' time. What a theologian she was. Can you imagine six days before the Passover, she's linked that Passover meal that's coming with Jesus Christ? None of the disciples would have done that. Mary has grasped the meaning of the person of Jesus and what that means is that she sees in the centre of his life that there is a lamb who is to be sacrificed for her sins. So many people wanted Jesus for other reasons. You knew that, don't you? The disciples themselves. How many of us want Jesus for our own reason? How many of us have followed him at different times for what he may actually give us? Mary didn't do that. She didn't look to Jesus except as he was before her. And how was he before her in that room? He was the pure, the holy Son of God, God of light, God of God. 
light of life, begotten, not made, sitting in the lounge room with her as a man. And she's gazed upon him and she's seen into him and how personal is Jesus to her? Well, he is her all in all. She's not looking to anything in herself. In fact, that's what faith is. Faith is to look away from yourself. Faith is to look away from yourself and it's to look to Jesus, it's to look at Him, it's to look at nothing else. Did you know that's what faith is? And that's what she's doing. How many of us over the years have been hurt? How many of you have been hurt? How many of you have had childhoods where you've been hurt? Who read the Cairns Post yesterday? We have a neighbourhood out here of children who have been abused probably nowhere more in a nation than in our neighbourhood. How many of you have been hurt either by parents or by your childhood or by husbands or wives to the point where you have started to suppress your affections and your emotions, where there is nothing there. You've got no emotion because you're afraid and if someone dared put their arm around you and hold you, you would flinch. Or if someone dared draw near to you personally and start to love you deeply, you would push them away. Well, what's happened to Mary? What's happened to her that her heart is flooded with affection and emotion? Is there such a thing as Christianity without affection? Is there? Are you commanded not to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might? Are you not commanded to rejoice in the Lord always and to have the affections of Christ there? So how can we have a real and true Christianity when there's no affection or no emotion in us? Even if the emotion might be grief over your sin, at least there's grief over your sin, isn't there? So with the Christian, there is something about us that Christ does and there's something about what happened to Mary where she must have been hurt, something has happened to her and then all of a sudden, Jesus has come to her and he's personally come and he's personally come and whatever her past is, however bad her past is, however much she's failed, whatever shame has been there in her past, Jesus has come to her and she's seen that an exchange happens, that Jesus comes to her hurt as an innocent lamb, as pure and innocent and the only true victim on the... He's the only true victim the world has ever known. And he's embraced her. Somehow he's met her wounds. And he hasn't just met them. He's entered into them. He's personally gone into them so as to change the woundedness to have brought healing by his wounds. She has been healed inwardly in her heart and Christ and and his presence has met her 
and she is evoked with love. Is Christ, is it possible to have a relationship with Christ that's not personal? So she opens this expensive pure nard and she lavishes Christ. She washes his feet. She touches him. He is real to her. He's a real Jesus. He's a real man. He's a real Christ. He's personally there and she washes his head and probably his whole body. How intimate is Christ? How personal is all of that worship? Brothers and sisters, a missionary friend of mine or more my Bible college lecturer, pastor and theologian, spent a lot of time overseas in different parts of the world. And he came back and he experienced revival in different sections of the world and he came back and he said Australia is the most indifferent nation to the gospel. Indifferent. Do you know what that word means? Neither here nor there. Jesus, we can have you or we cannot have you. There's no real urgency in Australia. But I think part of our problem as the Christian church is this. Mary did not see her sin as a disadvantage to her relationship to Christ. Mary did not see her sin as a disadvantage to her relationship with Christ. She saw her sin as actually a way of receiving grace upon grace from the glory of Christ, it meant that for her sin she gained Christ. Do you understand that? If you're saying, my sin is a disadvantage to me, then have you met Jesus? Have you personally met Him who on that cross was the Lamb of God who took your sin and bore the wrath of God? Have you met Him? Is your sin and a disadvantage to the intimate, personal Jesus Christ who takes it? Many of us still see our sin as a disadvantage to us because we fail to believe that Christ was really crucified for our sin. Luther says, you'll easily believe that Christ the Son of God was given for the sins of Peter and Paul and other saints whom we judge more worthy of his grace. But we judge ourselves unworthy of this grace. And it is very hard to believe with our heart that Christ was given for our infinite and horrible sins. I mean... Luther's writing that in the midst of the Reformation. He himself battled terribly with the devil, the world, the flesh and his own sin. He's he's writing very pastorally there. It is easy in general and without the pronoun to say how great was the benefit of Christ that he was given for the sins of other people 
worthy people's sins, but when it comes to the pronoun our, our weak nature and reason recoil and dare not come near God for such greater promise so that great, the great treasure that shall be freely given to us and therefore we will have nothing to do with God unless we are pure and sinless first. Christ was crucified for your sins. Personally, he was crucified for your sins. Your sins. Your sins. And God doesn't even remember them. Who are you looking at? Are you looking at yourself? Or are you looking to Christ? And are you keeping your eyes on him? Is that where your faith is? Are you focused on him? Do not take your eyes off him. Tell me, Chris, don't take your eyes off him. Don't look anywhere else for all the goodness of the Father dwells in him. He is the treasure of God for you. All the treasure of the Father is in him. You need not look anywhere else. Oh, and then what happens? The heart, the heart begins to be inflamed and all of a sudden there's affection and there's joy and there's the Spirit there and there's the fruit of the Spirit and life is very different. I believe in the Gospel. I believe in the power of the Gospel. Even though it might seem mad or foolish to some of you today, The Gospel is the power of God that saves you. So Paul says, and and Mary would have said it as well, we are those who glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. See, when you're glorying in Christ, you haven't got time to put confidence in the flesh. When you're glorying in Christ, guess what you're doing? You're glorying in Christ. And when you're glorying in Christ, guess what you're doing? You're glorying in Christ. And you've got no time to put confidence in the flesh because you've realised the flesh has nothing to offer, but Christ has everything to offer because He is your all in all. And so when you sin, who do you glory in? Christ. And when you sin some more, Who do you glory in? Christ. And when you sin some more and some more and some more, who do you glory in? Where else do you go? Where else do you look? Who has done away with it all? Jesus Christ. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I suffer the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, found in union with him, found in intimacy with him, found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but having a righteousness that comes from God that is in Jesus Christ 
And I have it by faith alone. And as Luther says, when you know that, you're just joyful. Just joyful because it's all there. Sin is miserable. Sin will make you miserable. And God bless that misery so that you go to Christ. That's the point of sin being miserable, isn't it? Is that it drives you to a great Saviour. Brothers and sisters, glory in Christ. Have faith in Christ. Look to Him. And after you've looked to Him, just keep looking to Him. Because the day comes when you're going to cross over from death into eternal life. And guess who you have to look to then? The Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.